Malachi. Malachi. Whitmire. I could not resist that. Is he here tonight? There he is on the front row. The book of Malachi, chapter 3, <laughs> and verse number 8. Starts with a question. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now that's a promise. That is one of the most incredible promises given by God that I can think of. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. That's a big blessing. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And I simply want to entitle this for a few moments tonight. Will a man rob God? Let's put our Bibles down. And in this incredible spiritual environment here tonight, let's lift our hands and give God great praise, shall we? Let's love him. Let's, let's pray. Father, by the authority of the name of Jesus, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. We praise you for the abundance of all things, starting with salvation. We give you all the glory, all the praise, all the honor, everything unto thy name. We pray that you talk to us, and we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Look at your neighbor before you're seated. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Will a man rob God? You may be seated. Now, I don't know what's going on up there, brother. Um, but I need some more monitor. Hallelujah. I am not intoxicated with the sound of my own voice, as some have claimed. Because with my degenerative hearing that I'm told, and all the older saints say amen. Will a man rob God? What kind of a question is that? We're looking here at Malachi. An incredible book. He has the distinguished honor of being the last prophet of the Old Testament. At face value, that may not really mean a lot, but the reality of it is it means a lot because it's the last voice that the nation of Israel will hear from for 400 
in 30 years. Malachi is, in his writings, is part of a larger corpus of material that is written by the minor prophets. The minor prophets were extremely important. They were all what is called post-exilic. One of the ways that you can break down the Old Testament, um, at least historically, in the history of the nation of Israel is the fact of recognizing that the nation of Israel came into national preeminence and nationhood under the auspices of the kings, most notably Saul, David, and then Solomon, and, and so forth. And that is a secondary class of information known as just the historical part of the nation of Israel. There's prophetical, there's poetic, there's different literary groupings. But the minor prophets played an important role because they are what is known as post-exilic, which means the nation of Israel, because they would not live correctly, that God took them into captivity. You have to understand that when God brought them out of Egyptian captivity, it was never the will of God that the nation of Israel would be captives again, okay? When, God, when you were baptized in Jesus' name, you repented of your sins, you were baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost and experienced a true infilling and liberation by God. It is not the will of God that you are in bondage ever again. Okay, and I'm not saying you're not going to struggle with things. I'm not saying that there may not be things maybe in your past, things in your present, whatever. I'm not saying you're not going to have struggles, but you are not ever to be in dominion, dominated, bondage again. Why? Because God will break. You are free. From God's perspective, you're free. That needs to be your perspective. And sometimes it can take a little bit of time to get there. But nonetheless, you are free indeed. In reality, you're free. And it was the will of God that the nation of Israel was never in bondage again. He brought them in miraculously. He brought them into a land where they... they, they took up residence and houses they didn't build. They occupied cities they didn't construct. Uh, they entered into domesticated. They became farmers. It was the first generation um, of farmers in the history of Israel. Um, they experienced, they became a nation, an agriculture, agriculture. And they were a free people. And under... Um, under the leadership of David, they became the most powerful, preeminent nation in the world. So what happened was, because the nation of Israel just had this thing about idolatry, it is the most preeminent sin in the Old Testament. The nation of Israel just could not completely and entirely become extricated from worshiping false deities. And so God sent prophets to the nation of Israel, major prophets. And they warned the nation of Israel, most notably Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. And he warned the nation of Israel that if we don't turn from idolatry and understand who we are as a people, that we're going to lose all this. And that is exactly what happened. God rose up, you know, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians and the Babylonians came in and they destroyed the temple and they destroyed the walls and they destroyed Jerusalem and they, they carried people away to be captives. Well, after a certain amount of time under 
Nehemiah, who's one of my heroes, and there's there's so many things that I could say that I'm leaving out of this, but I'm, I'm just hitting the mountain peaks of this so you can get a thumbnail sketch of this. But God allowed the Jews to return to the rubble of Jerusalem. And there, in 52 days, they rebuilt the wall under Ezra. They laid the foundation to the house of worship. They began a rebuilding process. Well, that is called post-exile. Historically, when you're looking at the nation of Israel, even under the uh, Saul, David, and Solomon, that is pre-exile. And then, and then they had the exile. And then you had post-exile. Well, in the post-exile, even though they came back to Israel, and even though they were re- had rebuilt the walls, they were, they were going back to finding their way of life they still were not absolutely where they needed to be. And so God continued to send prophets to the post-exile nation of Israel to remind them of God's ways and make the adjustments that they needed to make as a voice of prophetical power and rebuke to the nation of Israel. That's just a thumbnail sketch. Malachi is the last of the minor prophets. And there are some incredible things that are revealed in the book of Malachi. For example, he is the one that talks about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, of course, is the one that, is, that, that announces the Lord Jesus Christ and his ministry. That's foretold in the book of Malachi. So this The book of Malachi is the last prophetical voice to a nation that although they are geographically back where God planned for them to be, they are not 100% spiritually where they need to be. In chapter number three, we begin with this question, but I want you to understand this correctly. This is not Malachi writing this. This is, this is God as if it was first person singular. This is not Malachi taking it upon himself and making this statement to the nation of Israel. This is directly coming from God to the nation of Israel. And God begins with this question. And there's a reason why he begins with this question. And the answer to that is found in verse number seven. If you have your Bibles open, let's go to verse number seven. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine Ordinances. Now, this is very important when it talks about ordinances. You have traditions, you have ordinances, you have commands, you have traditions. Ordinances were basically God's word to the nation of Israel above and beyond the Decalogue, the Decalogue being the Ten Commandments. But they are definitely, it's definitely God's word that is given to the nation of Israel that they were required to follow. Okay, even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Okay, look at this. In verse 7, return unto me and I will return unto you. So this is important for the context of verse number 8. Because God is dealing with people that are essentially backslidden. They are not right with God, hence the command, return unto me. And the way that you return unto God is by obeying the ordinances of God. You know, going to church does not make you right with God. Going to the prayer room does not make you right with God. Wearing a suit and a tie does not make you right with God. What makes you right with God is you are doing the things that God has told us to do. 
if you love me, keep my commandments. There is a notion in certain sectors of the apostolic movement that all I have to do, and this is, this is people are guilty of this when they're being sustained by the culture of a church and not God in the church. Listen, I love the culture of Cornerstone. I, I'm, I would never put it down. It took us a long time to get here. It's a powerful, beautiful thing. But ladies and gentlemen, that cannot be enough to get you to heaven. That cannot be enough to heal you. It cannot be enough to bless you. It cannot be enough to deliver you. You have to know the God of the culture. You have to know the Savior of the culture. You have to know the spirit of the culture. Let's clap our hands and give him praise. But you can know that. And that's where the blessing is. So I know that God is using Malachi, but this is like, this is like straight from the throne. This is first person singular right here. God speaking directly to the nation of Israel. And he says, return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye say, wherein shall we return? Now, this is important. God does not need them to give a vocalized or a verbalized response. God is telling them exactly what they think. They're saying... In their minds, this is how deceived they were. They're, they're saying, what? I mean, we're already back in Jerusalem. We, we're, we're, we're back where our fathers were. We, we've, we've, got, we've got walls. We've got a place to worship. We've got the Ten Commandments. We've got a priest. We've got this, we've got that, we've got that. What's, what's wrong? What's wrong was they were not reading and obeying the fine print of the word of God. They were there physically, but they were not there spiritually. So God is, this is a rhetorical conversation in that the God already knows the answer, and God already knows where he's going, so he is telling them where he's not giving them an opportunity to vocalize their self-deception. He says, return unto me, and I will return unto you. But you say, you're thinking, where, where do I return? And then we have verse number eight. Will a man rob God? Now, this is not Malachi. This is not some scribe. This is not some priest. This is God posing a question to people that needed to get, make an adjustment. They're not thinking straight. And so God poses a rhetorical question. Rhetorical question meaning that the answer should be obvious. But it needs to be asked anyway because he's dealing with people that are already exercising a certain level of deception, self-deception. What do you mean return to you? We're, we're here. That's like saying just because I'm in the building, everything, everything should be fine. When the word of God goes forth, that's what we should be using to examine ourselves and say, if there's a gap, I'm ready to close that gap. If there's an adjustment, I'm ready to make the adjustment. If God says I ain't right, I'm ready to get right. If God said this is wrong, I'm ready to deal with it. That is the beauty of having an anointed pulpit. That is the beauty of having an unshackled pulpit. That is the beauty of having somebody that says, I want God more than I want approval. I want God more than I want popularity. I want God more than I want culture. Clap your hands and give him praise. Okay, so will a man rob God? 
yet ye have robbed me. They're probably stunned. They're probably, they're probably speechless. God's not even given anybody a, an opportunity to talk. God's, God's got the microphone. And he says, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But you say, this is how far off they were. Not only were they deceived about not being completely right with God just because they were in the right place at the right time, but they had been robbing God and did not realize that they were robbing God. The word rob means to steal. Does it not? Does the word rob not mean steal? But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. Now I want to tell you how our religious flesh interprets a curse. I'm still here. I'm still breathing. I still have a car. I still might have a roof over my head. That shows how carnal that person is because that's really all they think they need. Ladies and gentlemen, I cannot live without the presence of God. I don't know about you, day in and day out. And just going through the motions and having your little addiction and your compulsions and your secret life. But this pastor right here, I cannot live without the Holy Ghost. I want, to, I want God with me. I want to walk with him. I want to know him. I want to love him. I want to experience him. Now, already some of us are running for cover, and you don't. What you need to do is run to the altar. But God was trying to get through the self-deception. And that's what happens when people start going down this road. And they don't realize, everything's fine. I've still got my health. I don't feel cursed. God recognizes that and said, let me show you the difference. <laughs> if darkness is light to you, how great the darkness, Jesus said. If, if, if you think you're doing okay just because you're not six feet under and you're not on a slab uh, so that they can give you your last rites, God is saying, I'm going to give you an opportunity to see the difference between where you are and what I can do for you and prove me now whether I can flip the light on and make it where you can't even contain what I can do. Some of us, we got our little job, we got our toys, we got our little stuff, and we don't even feel like we need God. That God is saying, try me and see what happens when I start opening up the windows of heaven and you won't be able to even handle it. Stand to your feet and clap your hands and give God the praise. Come on, all over this place, let's give God great praise. It is the only place in the Bible where God says, get off your high horse and prove me. Come on, put me to the test. Put me to the test. You trust the government. You trust public assistance. Why don't you trust me? You trust welfare. You trust the hand of man. But trust your God. Oh, let's clap our hands and give God the praise. Come on, Mr. Deception, trust God. 
and see what God will do. You may be seated. Is this not a big deal? Is this not a big deal to rob God? God said, no, you're going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to send you to your grave plot. The curse of God is, is that you're not going to be experiencing the same thing that the person sitting right next to you You say, Pastor, that's in the Old Testament. You know, not everything went away with the Old Testament. God only asked for 10% in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's everything. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, everything. All my possessions, all my desires, everything I got, everything I've earned, everything. God gave me breath to get a job, to earn what I've got. God deserves it all. God kept me out of a hospital room. God kept me out of the emergency room. God kept me out of divorce court. He's worthy of everything. And until you get that revelation... There's going to be that nasty, that nasty self-deception that tells us we're fine. I'm, I'm right. I'm in Jerusalem. Temple. Or the synagogue, whatever case it may be. God, just be happy with that. Just be happy I'm here, God. God was very happy that the nation of Israel was back in Jerusalem after the wall built. They threw a party, and God said, quit the crying. We ain't going to cry anymore. The crying's over. You're back home. Let's get down to business and get this thing right this time. Um. When people get off on these kinds of issues, and, and moms and dads, and I, let me encourage you, teach your children to give something to God early in life. And when they are old, they will not depart. Why should the pastor have to be instructing godly saved people that your children should understand my dad gets up and goes to work for a roof over our head. If your kids are only concerned with Xbox and pizza and they don't have a comprehension where this stuff came from, I'm not here to shoot parents out of the water. I'm not here to do that. But let me encourage you, teach your children as early as you can that when we come to the house of God, because Jesus gave it all, Come on, let's clap our hands and give God the praise. We owe him everything. I owe him everything. It has to become a revelation where you're not going to let yourself off the hook for disobeying the word of God. It's just, it's just... What, what he is addressing here in the book of Malachi is human nature. And people are thinking, hey, I've still got a job. I've got a house. I've I got my own little world here. Man, I don't even know if I need God. What would your life be like if he poured out a blessing that you don't have room to contain? You know what you're going to say? You're going to say, where have I been? God, thank you for sending the pastor to shake me. Because I've, I've been thinking, I've been thinking way too highly of myself, thinking I really don't even need God. I got this, I got that, I got some food, I got food stamps, I'm, I'm dependent on the state, I got welfare. You know, God, I, I don't believe a child of God should be on welfare. I believe. 
I don't believe that somebody that is of a younger age should be on welfare. You get out there and let God bless you. You get out there and let God be your source. Not the White House, not Congress, not this government. Somebody clap your hands and lift your voice and give God the praise. God's going to get the glory. God wants to be your source. God wants to bless you. The nation of Israel was an illegitimate witness, almost a false witness. And this is one of the reasons why over the span of 430 years between the time that this book was actually written and the arrival of Jesus Christ, this is why the nation of Israel had so many issues. They just kept getting further and further off course to where now they have a false religious system called the Pharisees, and now it's, it's man-made, and it's, and it's, and it's, and it's religious and, and humanistic and, and blah, 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 blah. It's not even reality. To the point that Jesus said, you're not of your father Abraham, you're of your father the devil. They had gotten that far away from reality. To where Jesus said, you're not of your father Abraham. You're of your father the devil. How did that happen? That happened from them being unwilling. Stiff-necked was a popular word that was used of the nation of Israel that came out of Egypt. They just, they just refused to do the right thing. Will a man rob God? Well, God, if you say so. But it ain't going to be me. It ain't going to be me. It ain't going to be me that robs God. And it's not going to be me that's unthankful. It's not going to be me that's unholy. Come on, somebody. It's not going to be me that's coming to church and playing the part and not allowing myself to go all the way. I want everything God has for me. That's why I got in this. And that's why you got in this. It's to please him. It's to love him. It's to walk with him. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Just to give you some kind of idea how preeminent tithing was, look at the book of Leviticus, chapter number 27, verse number 30. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land, the fruit of the tree is the Lord's, it is holy unto the Lord. It's holy. There was, there was the firstborn, there was the first fruits. Anything that is increase. Your paycheck, and it's gross and not net. If you're, if you're paying your tithes on net, then you're letting the government get before God. If I look at my check, and ladies, ladies and gentlemen, one of the first revelations I ever got as a new convert was, man, I got that first paycheck, and I looked at that paycheck, I said, is that all for what I, I've actually been getting out of bed? Is that all you guys are giving me? I didn't even own a watch because I didn't care what time of day it was. And now I'm in the church and God told me to get a job and I've been working all week, putting up with a bunch of Baptist stuff because I'm a tongue talker. And I got this here check. Is this all for getting out of bed? I'm going to tell you what, it was worth every bit of it because I had a smile on my face. I had the Holy Ghost in my soul. I had a walk with God. I knew him. He knew me. We loved each other. It was powerful. It was wonderful. And in four years, I had my own business as a licensed bondage painting contractor. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. Why? Because I gave God in the beginning. I realized... I can't wait to give God what's his. It's my expression. It's my love to him. It's my appreciation to him. It's the small thing I can do. All right, brother. 
How does it feel to be cursed? Me? Uh, <laughs> I don't feel cursed. Do you feel blessed? Well, not really. But you show somebody that's, oh, man, I'm blessed. Let's interview a couple other folks. Are you blessed? Oh, man, I'm blessed. Are you a giver? Every chance I get. Because I learned early on to give sparingly means I'm only going to get sparingly. But if I'll give bountifully, I'll open up the windows of heaven. And it's the, it's the law of reciprocity. The more that I give, God says, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be in debt to any man. If you start giving big, I'm going to give bigger. And you give more, I'm going to give more and more. Clap your hands and give him praise. Will a man rob God? God said, this whole nation has robbed me. And I'm reading between the lines, and I can almost hear God say, that's why you're in the shape you're in. God doesn't, God doesn't enjoy this. He wants people that are intelligent and godly and understanding and operating according to understanding when it's revealed to them. That's what maturity does. Maturity operates at the understanding level that's been granted to you. Y'all doing okay out there? I'm well aware that the IRS is going to employ 80,000 people to start auditing people. God ain't going to do that. You don't want to give? You just keep doing what you're doing? Okay. Don't expect blessing. Don't expect God to answer your prayers. It's probably why you don't pray. You show me a man that pays his tithes, when he starts praying, God is listening. There was a time when I was a new convert. I lost one job. I went and had a prayer meeting. I had another job before the end of the week. You want to know why? Because God could trust me. God could If you'll be faithful in a little, you'll be faithful in much. But if you ain't faithful in anything, you ain't going to get nothing. Zero, nada, nothing. It's going to be your effort, your strength. What you can do in your mind, everything you've got is going to be engineered out of your mind and your efforts. God responded by saying, bring ye the tithes into the storehouse. That's a type of the church. There may be meat. It's amazing. Amazing passage of Scripture. Let's continue to read Leviticus 27, verse 30. This is how far back this goes, but I'm going to bring a Scripture here in a moment that even goes farther back than Leviticus. And all the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land, whether the fruit of the tree is the Lord's, it is holy unto the Lord. Everybody said, Amen. But now let's go to the book of Hebrews. And let's look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 6. This even goes farther back than Hebrews. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham. Abraham? What? So this even predates the covenant known as the Old Testament. When people talk about the Old Testament... And they say that in a very denominational, almost casual way. They're not talking about all the way back. They're basically talking about Moses and the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic Covenant because that is the most comprehended. Abraham paid tithe. Somebody said amen. amen. 
Let's go back to our text. And let's read verse number 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me. I just go to church. No highs, no lows, no answered prayers. This is the only scripture that I'm aware of where God says, prove me. And he is doing it to a group of people. This, this, this shows me the absolute long-suffering and the love of God. That here's people that have robbed him. They're thieves. And he's saying, prove me. I want to be your source. I want to be the one you come to. I want to be, I want to be God in your life. I want to be the provider in your life. Prove me. It's almost like a person that will not do it. It's like denying, depriving God of what God wants to do. God says, prove me. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Pretty soon you're buying a bigger house. Pretty soon you need a bigger car. How come these people that work for, what is it, Uber? How come all these guys are, all these dudes are driving small cars? Dude, when I want to ride, I want to stretch my legs out. I don't want my knees up to my chin. Yeah, take me across town. <laughs> what an amazing script. What can I do as a pastor other than preach and perform my calling? What can I do to convince you that this is for you tonight? Nothing. Only God can do that. And he is so willing to convince you. Because, see, God will get the, God gets no advertisement from people that are on welfare. Yeah, yeah. As soon as I get my check from the government, we can go you got a cornerstone over there? Is that what they believe over there? Now, there, there may be somebody that, that's legitimately on welfare, like you're disabled. Okay, you pay into that. And if you pay into that, you've got every right in the world to get that back. But it's got to be worthy. It's got to have a reason. Like, like I got hit by a car and I'm going to be off work for a while and I filed for unemployment and, and, or I worked my entire life and I'm getting Social Security. I understand all that. You paid into that. But to somebody that just doesn't want to go out and do what they're supposed to do so that God can get the glory and God can really open up the heavens, you are denying God what only God can do. Hallelujah. You know, faith takes work. This kind of faith takes work. All right, I'm going to go ahead and obey God. God, I paid my tithes one time. Now bless my socks off. Have you ever heard that? I have. Well, pastor, I paid my tithes and nothing happened. Well, look at your spirit. Go pray. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. This is not the Sunday afternoon matinee. I'm preaching to you. You, you got to have the right spirit. Because God loves a cheer. Come on, somebody. I get to give to God. I get to obey the Bible. I get to have a relationship. I get to be blessed. I get to be used of God as one that demonstrates his blessing. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. 
God loveth a cheerful giver. There's people in this church, when they, I don't sit there and stare at people as you give. I don't even read the financial reports. I know some pastors, they just scour over them. All right, they missed one right there. I don't, I don't do that, okay? I don't do that. But every once in a while, it's wise for a pastor to know what's going on. How about y'all over here? You okay with that? Well, pastor, I don't want you to know what's going on. Pastor knows what's going on. Wouldn't you rather be blessed? See, you're just, you're happy with just existing. God's saying, that's no wonder we're not winning anybody to God and we're not a light and we're not, nothing's happening. There's no, there's no joy juice. There's no glory emanating. There's a, what would happen if, if you and God were partners and God, all right, I'm going to, God put something on your heart and you say, all right, God, I want to see this. I'm going to tell you what, people that are living in that dimension are some of the happiest, joy-filled, powerful people in the kingdom of God because they know him. They know that God is real. They know that God will stand by his word. Clap your hands and give God the praise. I'm almost done. Oh, man. And I will rebuke the devourer. What does that mean? That means every time you guys go through the motions of trying to prepare a crop, the devourer comes in there and there's nothing left to harvest. God says, I'm going to rebuke the devourer. Basically, he was talking about insects, whether it be locust, some infestation, maybe cicada, something that comes in. When I'm going to tell you, when these locusts come in, and they're, they're, they're known in that part of the world. They're known in that, that arid, dry temperature of the Holy Land, all the way over into the Orient, all the way into Africa. And when those locusts come in, the, 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 the farmers are going ballistic. They're, they can already see that when they take off, when they're done, there's nothing left. Kind of like Gideon and the Midianites. Man, I better hide this because somebody will take it from me. God will remove the curse so that you can actually see the fruit of your labors and enjoy the fruit of your labors and become blessed. Everybody said blessed. Will a man rob God? Not if he's smart. Let's stand. Let's lift our hands. And let's give God great praise. Thank you for the opportunity, Jesus, to be operating in a cycle. There's already a physical cycle called evaporation that builds up the firmament where we get rain and thunderstorms and hail. But we are involved in a reciprocity that when we give, it comes back to us pressed down, shaken together. Come on, let's give him praise. Somebody lift your voice. Let's pray. God, I pray that somebody, more than somebody, will finally trust you. They've heard your voice. From time to time, they've been convicted, but they'd go back because they don't have the level of temperance that they need to stay the course. God, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray. The cornerstone can be a church that can be trusted. 
with great blessing. Great blessing. Great blessing. Great blessing. Great blessing. Maybe you're here tonight and you need to get right with God. Maybe you're here tonight. Some of the comments have convicted you. This is a perfect time to pray. This altar is open. Why don't we just come? Why don't we all come? All come. Just if you want to. This, this altar is open. You can kneel at your pew. But there's some people that really need to pray. We're doing so good. Some old things came back around. The locust. Come on, let God bless you. He's a blesser. He's a blesser by nature. He loves to bless. He loves to express himself through blessing. Let's pray. Let's call on the name of the Lord. Let's raise our children in a blessed home. One that's overflowing with the presence and the glory and of a good report. Powerful things. Glorious things. Wonderful things. Excellent things. Come on, let's love him. Let's praise him. Let's worship him. Let's get in alignment with him. God, I'm getting in alignment with you tonight. Tonight, tonight. God, I know I've been feeling it, and I thank God for this tonight because I know it's you, and I know that you're trying to get me to a place where I can be blessed. Oh, I love you, God. 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 Jesus, I love you. I praise you. I'm going to draw nigh into the Lord and let him draw nigh into me. And when we get together, I'm ready. I'm ready to do whatever I have to do, God. I want you. I want you. I want you. I want you. Come on, let's continue to reach out to him. He's gracious. He's long-suffering to us, word. He's a great God. He's a glorious God. He's a wonderful Savior.